This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Excuse me while I try to put this on. So good to have you all here. Hey, it barely looks like we have two services now, doesn't it? Uh, I can assure you, lots of people came to the first service, so you're not. I know some of you are like, oh, maybe there's so many people here. Maybe people didn't come. They did. You all got to sleep in while all those people were coming in the dark. Praise God. I was saying to Dave today, if, I, if I, we were talking about on the way, like I was trying to have some of you who are here right now told me emphatically, we are going to be first service people. And uh, I said to Dave, driving here, I think I would be a first service, per, first service person. And he looked at me. He was driving. He looked at me, <laughs> took his eyes right off the road, and he said, you absolutely would not. <laughs> and um, so I identify with you right now, especially those of you that said you were first service people, but you're here. You look bright-eyed, though, bushy-tailed. I don't know really. Why do we say that to people, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? It doesn't... Anyways... It's weird. Okay, we're in our series called Pace, our last week. I want to tell you that next week we're starting, it's February, and always in February we do an expositional series of a hard book of the Bible, one that you generally speed read over. Last year we did Leviticus. This year we're going to do Lamentations. Woo! Okay, uh, if you've never read the Bible before, Lamentations actually means cry. And... Um, <laughs> So for the next five weeks, bring your, bring your Kleenexes. No, I'm just kidding. We are going to talk about, though, what does it mean to lament? Because if you've been human before, or you've all been human before, you're still human. <laughs> but being human means that we must learn to lament, and we must learn to do that in a godly way. And uh, the book of Lamentations teaches us how to do that uh, in, in a, for ourselves, but also for those around us. And I'm really excited about this series. Um, you know, I always do this to myself. Every year I, I think about, like, what would be a book that people don't read very well? And then I chastise myself for it the whole time. But this series, actually, the Book of Lamentations, as someone who has walked the long road of grief, um, I, do, I do believe this is something we need to learn to do and we need to learn to do together. So, you can do some pre-reading this week. You can read the book of Lamentations. It's just a few chapters. It's not very long. And then we're going we're gonna to talk about it. But today, we're going to finish our series called Pace. And in this series, we've been talking about what does it mean for us to actually live out the gospel? Um, how do we actually think very specifically about our spiritual lives? And how do we have our actions or our habits line up with the things we believe? Because, um, as you know, it's easy to believe things. It is harder to live, th to actually do the things we believe. Yes, we can all believe exercise is good for us. By the way, by the way, this is happy quitting week to everybody. Uh, for those of you that are regular gym attenders, you are thrilled about this week because you know this is when you can get the machines you like back again. This is apparently, statistically, the week that everybody who made um, New Year's resolutions quits them. Um, and so if you, if you made it, it, so like I am here to do a little bit of an intervention this morning. If you made a New Year's resolution to read the Bible this week, I know, I know we're in the back half of Exodus, which is harder than the front half. It gets like a little bit detail-y, 
I, I want to cheerlead for you right now. You might have fallen off the train this week. I want to, I want to encourage you. Jump back on the train. Get, you can do it. You don't have to quit. Um, the Lord can help you. You can get through the Bible this year. I, I, um, Scott is sitting here today. And Scott, just wave your hand at everybody. For the online people, you won't be able to see Scott waving his hand, but he's here. This year, Scott came to me and said, this was the first year I read the Bible. I was in the Bible 365 days this year. Do you know what kind of transformation? We were just talking about how much transformation that brings, yes? I, I want you to know that there are people sitting amongst you right now that are reading the Bible for the first time ever, and it's transforming their life. And some of you have been in church for a long time, but you've never been in the Word. I want to encourage you this year to say, Jesus, would you help me to grow in your Word? Would you help me to be more like you? And I specifically, Scott, I specifically called you out because sometimes I think we think about this in generalities, like Christians read the Bible, like people read the Bible. But actually, we must remember that specifically, when I specifically read the Bible, it changes my life. Uh, when you specifically get into God's word and allow it to transform you, it's going to change your life. And so I don't want to disappoint you. I told you I was going to be a broken record about this all year round. And so here we are again, back end of Exodus. Get back in there. Don't, don't worry about what the Bible app is saying that you missed 63 days. There hasn't even been 63 days, but don't worry about that. Just, just decide today. Yeah, I'm going to be a person of the word this year. I'm going to allow God's word to transform me. Um, so the first week when we were in this PACE series, we talked about how a rule of life, it's not talking about rules, it's talking about a trellis. The word rule comes from the Latin word regula, and that means trellis, that God would help us build the structure around our spiritual lives so that we can actually do what we profess to believe. The first week we talked about Bible reading and, and praying, and then the next week we talked about silence and solitude. How many of you had some um, times where you're about to turn on the radio in your car and you just thought, no. I'm going to be silent for a few minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to put in our life, but I think if we're uh, intentional about it, God will speak to us. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about community and the importance of putting community around us and, and being intentional, not just waiting to find people, but go and find your people. And so lots of you got in small groups. Um, we need many more of you to say, yes, I will lead a small group because we have some small groups that are no longer small groups. They're like small churches. And that's amazing. Uh, but we also, I, I believe God's going to speak to some of you about starting groups. And if you've got an interest, God can do that. And today, I want to talk to you about contentment. So if there's one thing to describe the North American zeitgeist, it would be that we are not content people. Yes always trying to grasp for more and more. And we know this because there's a billion dollar advertising agency that like leverages us for that. And even if you don't watch TV, you're inundated with that on your device or billboards or whatever. We just are people. It's like if you go to school for business, they don't come out and tell you this, but basically tell you what we're going to do is work on the fact that, that people are not very content. And so you got like, listen, I, a couple of years ago, I was very excited. I got that Dyson, the small Dyson. And I was so excited about it. I posted it on Facebook. <laughs> that tells you I'm old and don't know how to use the socials, ladies and gentlemen. I also posted it on Instagram, and my oldest child said to me, Mom, no, never again. You cannot post a vacuum. And that little vacuum was amazing for some time. I was so, I wanted to show, if you came over to my house 10 years ago, I was showing you that thing. I was so proud of it. 
But then I realized it wasn't good enough because I needed the upright one. I needed the one that like was yellow and tall. And then one of you got one, a new version of that, and, 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 and it buzzes in your hand when you're done. Like it tells you, you are cleaning up dirt. You are being productive right now. And my little uh, carry-on into vacuums actually is a picture of how often we are. Remember when you got your first iPhone, everyone? So cool. You'd put it out when you went out to eat. You'd put it like so that the waitress would see it. I know you didn't do that, only me. But now there's like 19 versions of it. And next year, for sure, they will prey upon all of us and our lack of contentment and remind us that there's yet another version that you need because you really are a photographer inside your heart. <laughs> this is, some of you actually are photographers. Most of us are not. And, but did you ever think to yourself, if I get that iPhone, I am, I'm going to be a photographer. I'm starting my own business. No, you're not. Okay. So I want to talk about contentment. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 says, it's better to be content with what you have. Otherwise, you'll always be struggling for more. And that's like chasing the wind. Oh, I love the writer of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, just telling us like it is. You can underline there, always be struggling for more. The, uh, the opposite of contentment is coveting. Okay, so this is a, an Old Testament word, to covet something. We don't really talk about it very much. But in fact, the opposite of contentment is coveting. That's when you want more and more and more. Now, when we talk about contentment, when I bring this up, sometimes we think, well, this is just like, uh, it's going to be motivational speak, contentment. But in fact, if you look at the scripture, we recognize that God actually really, really cares about this. In fact, God talks about this in the Ten Commandments. Like right up there with murder and stealing and adultery. Tenth Commandment is, thou shalt not, and I'm saying it in the King James Version, thou shalt not covet. It's the opposite of contentment. God's design for his people is that we would learn to be content. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, what's amazing about the scripture is that God is not a God who just says, don't do this, and then leaves it. This is why the Bible is long, because God is actually teaching us through his word, step by step, why we are, we are to be a certain way, why we are to be content, why we aren't to covet so this morning, I, I want to start off talking about what a lack of contentment does to us, what the scripture shows us a lack of contentment does to us. The first thing is this, um, if, you, if you lack contentment, you will always have fatigue. I think this is really why our world is so tired, um, running on, st on fumes, uh, always wanting more causes us to be exhausted, and all of us know this feeling. You know, where you just want more and more and more. And, and that might not be stuff. That might be you want more and more in, in the way of friendship. You want more and more in the way of notoriety. You want more and more. And you, it feels like you are in a rat race. And this is why it's described this way. The problem with a rat race is that even if you win it, you are still a rat. <laughs> At the end of it, you carry the bubonic plague. But many of us, we have, we have um, given in to saying, I, I, well, it's just always the way it's going to be. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. The question we have to ask ourselves is, am I tired for reasons of 
covetousness? Am I tired for reasons of being discontent? Um, the, the second thing it causes us to have is, is debt. I, I want to be very practical today. Um, when, when we live with a non, not a spirit of content, uh, we, it breaks budgets. And you know what God cares about? He cares that you would not live with the heaviness of like debt that's crushing you. That's the heart of our Father. He is not bifurcated. Like God is not up in heaven going, you know what, I just really care about your Bible study. I care that you study Leviticus, you know, whatever. You're in the negative all the time, who cares? No, God is a God of, he, he is holistic in his nature. He cares about this. And um, we, we often think the problem is that we don't make enough money, but the real problem is that we want too much, isn't it? Often we confuse need with greed. My whole growing up life, I was talking with a few of my friends that are uh, theologically minded, and we were talking about in the New Testament, there's all kinds of scriptures, and I won't read them today. They're, they're lists of things that we shouldn't do as Christians. And they're like the, the regular things, like no deceit, no greed, no adultery. And then there's a little one thrown into every single one of those lists, no greed. And my friends and I were talking, and I said, in your, all your years of being in church and being in seminary, have you ever heard just a sermon about do not be greedy? Or, or have any of our colleagues ever... Now, I've heard lots of my colleagues being called out and discipled for various of those lists. Never have I ever heard of somebody saying, you know what, I don't think you're fit to, to be a pastor because you're too greedy. I've just never heard of it in my whole life. Partly because we think of that sin as kind of one God doesn't, you know, God's like kind of light about that one. He doesn't, he's okay as long as you're like, not like totally mean, like just basically a little bit greedy is okay. That's how we live, Right. But this is not true, and partly it's because it causes us all kinds of havoc, havoc, worry. So we've got fatigue, we've got debt, and debt causes all kinds of problems because it causes worry. Worry is always the result of wanting more. The Bible says this, the working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake working, worrying. Did you know that the average Canadian household owns 300,000 items? I was going to count it in my house this week. Then when I got to like, it just was too much. <laughs> this is really true. That our stuff often, often keeps us worrying. Listen, if you don't own it, you don't worry about it. You know what I don't ever have to worry about? A yacht. I never stay up at night thinking, I wonder about my yacht. <laughs> I wonder if it's being destroyed right now in a hurricane. <laughs> Now, now this is not to say, so let me, before we even go any further, this is not to say that things are bad. They are not bad, and desire is not ungodly. Uh, a Buddhist mindset says that what we're trying to get to is to desire nothing, and that's actually called the state of nirvana. That's what Buddhists call it. We are Christians, though. We do not, we are not trying to divest ourselves of desire. Desire is not the problem. The problem is when things have us, not when we have things. Okay, so we get that straight at the beginning, that some of the most godly people in the Old Testament and the New Testament were the wealthiest. So it's not about how many items you have. You might have thought when I said 300,000 items, you might have thought only. And if things don't have you, that, that's okay. But when things have us and they cause us to worry, this becomes the problem. And it, you see, this is 
When we don't tie the Old Testament and the New Testament together, we have difficulty with our theology. So some of us have not read the Old Testament, and the Old Testament talks about how we're not to be caught up with our stuff. We're not to be, and over and over again, we're going to see this in the scripture. But then we get to Jesus talking about don't worry, and we think, what, what is he thinking? I could never not worry. And we think that that's a personality trait. Instead of seeing the thread of scripture that pulls out the whole way, We're not to be people who worry. And most of the time, what we worry about are things. And we know that from all kinds of studies that people have done. Even 20 years ago, studies were showing that insomnia increases with income. Listen, some of you are receiving the salary that you only dreamed of 30 years ago. And it's like going through your hands like sand. Do you remember when you made, I remember when I made three bucks an hour, literally to babysit, three bucks an hour. And I babysat seven hours and somebody gave me 25 bucks. Now it was the eighties and like grapes didn't cost $17. So like whatever, but, um, but, but our, um, level of worry is directly related to our contentment. So I I recognize that I cannot in one hand hold worry and hold contentment in the other hand. They're they're absolutely incompatible. When I let worry take over my life, I am not living in contentment at all. Okay, and, and then it also causes conflict when you add debt and fatigue and worry together. What you got is a big war, yes? Try to mix those into your marriage or to your sweet, flat, your, the people you live with. Worry, fatigue, debt, problems. We know the number one reason why people get a, get a divorce? Financial problems. And our, listen, our vision as a church is to be a place that, that uh, helps people live healthy lives. So my hope as your pastor is that you get into God's word and it helps you to live a healthy life that leads to a healthy uh, family, that leads to healthy friendships, that lead to healthy relationships. And part of the way we do this is getting serious about putting a, uh, a rule of life uh, related to contentment. You know, even as believers, we, um, we covet things, and we don't, we don't recognize it as co- coveting because it's so subtle. We say things like, uh, I pray that God will give me the faith to get the job that you have or a husband or a wife like you have. And that becomes coveting, right? And we guise it as faith. And we actually have to call that out in ourselves and say there are areas of my life that I am not content in. And so um, disfatis- disfatis- dissatisfaction really is the result of uncontentedness. When we're not content, we're dissatisfied. Now, I'm not talking about holy dissatisfaction where you say like, There are certain things in my life I wish I'm asking the Lord to help me with. I'm talking about that gnawing feeling at night that you're not where you should be, that you don't have what you wish you had, that you don't have the house you had, the car you had. And and really, this dissatisfaction is often related to things and status. Do you know that uh, Calgary is the most educated city in North America? Do you know that? And that's amazing. We have some amazingly talented, smart, bright people here. But if we are not careful, the rat race leads to that too. I wish I had the brain you had. I wish I had the degree you had. I wish I had the opportunity that you had. And we spend our whole life wishing we were somebody else. 
and who God has made us to be. There's no doubt about it. Um, Things can cause happiness for a brief time, but it doesn't last very long. Remember when you got your first car? First car. When Dave and I got our first car, I... uh, it was a minivan. It was our first new minivan. It was our first, uh, it was our only new vehicle, really, that we've ever had, that minivan. It's a glorious time when we got into the parking lot. And I said to myself this, we are never going to eat in this minivan. We are going to keep this smell forever. We only had two children at the time. It was all smoke and lies. Because in three or four weeks, we had cheeseburger wrappers and that thing. You know when you find moms and dads who are here, or just general people, you know when you find an old french fry? It's been in your car for like six months, and you're worried because there's no mold on it? Yeah, it's a problem. That became my, uh, my minivan. You know, for a while, it was amazing driving this new minivan. And then after a while, and I wasn't... Um, I wasn't enthralled. I wasn't talking to you about my minivan, how amazing it was. Look, look at my 12-year-old minivan. Do you want to come for a tour in it? Amazing. I'm going to get a TV show all about my minivan with French fries in it. No! Things can help us. They do give us a little bit of satisfaction at the beginning, but they don't last. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, you will never be satisfied if you long to get rich. You'll never get all you want. Uh, you know, and this is true of Christmas gifts too. How many of you right now, I want you, you don't have to share your hands. Think about what you got for Christmas. Three, two, one. I'm looking at a lot of puzzled looks right now. Some of you, some of us, or tell me what you got for Christmas last year, better yet. None of us remember. And this is the way of things. They can't satisfy us. And this is what it means. We, we have to confront these things in our life. We have to confront them in the church because if we don't confront them, we will never grow strong in the things of God. We won't. So we've got to confront this kind of thing in our life. Now, this is, like I said, not about desire, but it is, uh, there are some of you uh, who, as I'm talking right now, you're thinking, well, I, I, I would really like something. There, there's a difference between desire and coveting. You can admire something and not have to acquire it. I can admire something in you and not have to covet it, right? Some of you live in beautiful houses, and you know what you can do? You can have that beautiful house, and I can go over to your house and say, wow, what a beautiful house. The difference between that and coveting is when I say, I want that beautiful house. How can I get you to move out of your beautiful house so I can move into your beautiful house? That becomes a bit of the problem, right? You can look at somebody's marriage and think, wow, what a beautiful picture of what it means for two people to love each other. It becomes coveting when you say, I want your marriage now. Mm -hmm. We must become people who get good at admiring each other. Okay, so so here's the question. How How do we live contented? We know it causes us fatigue, it causes us debt, it causes us worry, it causes us dissatisfaction and conflict. None of us want that. It's not a person on earth that would sign up for that. And yet we still live discontented a lot of the time. If we were to take a survey in this room, the truth is most of us live some portion of our life discontented. So how do we get content? Scripture is amazing because it actually shares with us. I want to show you, it says in Philippians 4 verse 12, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. Such an amazing scripture. Do you know, like people who don't even know the Lord, this is such a good scripture. Maybe you're here and you're not even sure about this Jesus stuff. I want to tell you that I have learned the secret of, Paul learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. By the way, he wrote Philippians from jail. 
This is why this is a really powerful scripture. I've learned the secret. I, w- I want you to notice this. Notice that contentment is something you learn. Paul didn't say, hey, I want you to know I was downloaded or I naturally came programmed with contentment. None of us are programmed with contentment. <laughs> you know that, because like little kids are the worst. They want more snacks and more snacks and more snacks and more presents. This is the way that we are naturally but we can know that we can learn how to be content. And, and, and it's a Christian virtue that we've got to put into our trellis. Okay, so here's how we're going to put it into our trellis. We know that we don't want to live a covetous life. We want to live content. You want to get up in the morning and think, yeah, I am content. I, I'm doing it. I'm exactly where God wants me right now. How do we do that? First thing is this. First step is to be grateful for what we have. Appreciate what God has already given us. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this, if God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. I love this. God doesn't say, if God gives a man wealth, he should burn it all to the ground. No, he says, if God God has given you wealth, enjoy it. Learn to be thankful for it. Like, Like, lean into what God's given you. Gratefulness will change everything about your disposition. And, and this is something that, I mean, I think psychologists have been telling us this for years. The scripture told us it thousands of years before. So we all know this, right? The question is, how do we put it into practice? How do you pragmatically live thankfully? And so this is, I, I, I've told you this before, that our family, like I just got tired of people saying make a gratefulness journal every year. I'd hear that every time I'd go somewhere. Do you know what I don't ever do at night before I go to bed? Write in a journal. So it's like every, every year in January, I'd be like, this is the year, this is the year, I'm going to do a gratefulness journal. And then I'd fall asleep. I fall, like, I fall asleep mid-conversation, poor Dave. And then either one of us is both, there's no, there's going to be no time for that. So we just thought, you know what we do every single day? I'm tying my, my actual trellis to my life. I eat with my family every day. And so every day at dinner, we just ask this question, what are we thankful for? Now, when we first started doing this, I'd like to tell you that my children were like, bless the Lord, what a great parent you are. You and dad raising us to serve Jesus. We are so grateful for the discipleship that is in this family. We rise up and call you blessed and highly favored. No, they were like, seriously? I think actually that's what they said, seriously? And I said, yes, seriously. Dave said, yes, seriously, we're going to do this. We're going to add it to our rule of life. This is something we do every single day. Okay, they obliged for the first five days because I think they were hoping. <laughs> like a lot of plans we parents have. You know, when you, if you're a parent or if you're raised by a parent, you know this. Your mom would say, we're doing a new system now. And you would know to yourself, I got you. That system's going to last till January 21st. Okay, so my kids in the first couple of weeks were like, fine. I'm thankful for the dog. I'm thankful for carpet, I think was one thing we got. I'm saying, and so like, but, but by week two, when their friends came over and we were like saying to their friends, what are you thankful for? And they were so like, oh, mom, you have made this the worst. And for a bunch of years, this has been our rule of life. So my daughter goes to university. She's in her third year. Do you know what she does at the cafeteria with her friends now? 
What are you thankful for today? What has God done for you? Because this is how we built it. It doesn't matter that you think it's good to be thankful. Of course, nobody's going to say, nah, not for me. What matters is that you actually engage in the practice of thankfulness, that you actually get that into your trellis, that you get that into your rule of life. What you believe about that doesn't change anything. What changes things is what we practice. Now, I'm not telling you that to say that, like, it doesn't have to be a bastion. Like, nobody is crying at my dinner table when we talk about thankfulness. Nobody is, like, weeping. There hasn't been anything profound. I always know it's a bad meal. I've done a bad cooking job when no one is thankful for the food that day. It's a bit of a litmus test. We just have, like, a few rules. You can't say the same thing as the person next to you. And you can't say the same thing more than once in a week because otherwise we'd get dog every single day. Dog, dog, dog. And you know, it's been a way that we can share what God's doing in our life with our kids. We, we have to learn to be great. And it might, that might not work for you. But find a way that you can be grateful for what God has done for you. Find a way that you can like add that in to your life as part of your trellis, as part of your, and this is going to build contentment in you because you recognize when you get in the habit of that, you will recognize what the Lord has done for you. You know what we don't have? <laughs> one, one week, it was a, like a, basically a terrible week for all of our family. My middle son said, could we have like what we're not grateful for? Could we do that? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Defeats the purpose. We actually, like, even when things are horrible, you, got, you can find something you are grateful for. My kids used to think that they could take a pass, like this was like Uno or something, like pass, I'm not, not. No, no, there is always something that we can say, God, I am so thankful that you did this. And it, cha- listen, some of you want to be really spiritual. You want to you change the atmosphere in your home? Get a spirit of thankfulness going out of your lips, out of the confession of your mouth that says, God, you provided food on my table and I'm going to be grateful. You don't have to have a family to do this. You can do it with other people. Listen, you can, I, I don't, you live alone. You're going to call somebody every day and say, here's what I'm grateful for today. We have to find ways to, to, to make this work for us. Okay. We can see the band coming and that means that I got two minutes, so. I am not good at two services yet, everybody. Here's, here's the, this, this in a nutshell, this message in a nutshell. Happiness is not getting everything you want. Happiness is enjoying what you already have. And, and we need to add that to our thing. So we're grateful for what we got. And then I, I want to just speak this. We, we have to be generous with what we have. The happiest people on earth are the most generous people. And that is true, doesn't matter what culture you live in, doesn't matter where you grew up, what side of the tracks you grew up on. Generosity is what unlocks contentedness in our life. You know, our vision here is to raise up a whole bunch of disciples that are going to follow Jesus in healthy ways. I, I want to pray that we would grow in health, in our health, that everything about us would prosper. Paul said, I pray that you would prosper even as your soul prospers, like all of you. But we do that as we learn to get generous. And I I could talk about this for a long time. Generous with our time, generous with our finances. We need to be generous 
First Timothy 6, 17 and 18 says, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good, to give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others what God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. I love this version because it, it tells us, listen, you want to live a fruitful life now? You want to live a contented life? Get generous. Stop hanging on to everything. You're, you're going to die. In, in the scope of eternity, we're all going to die soon. So, so let's stop mm, holding things. Let's give generously to the kingdom, to others. Let's give up our time. Let's give up our resources. Let's be people that if people were to say anything about us, what they would say is that you're generous. A couple of months ago, Pastor, or a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Harmon preached and he talked about his eulogy. And he said, you know, when you're building a rule of life, you think about your eulogy. You think about the things people are going to say about you when you die. I pray for all of us that people would stand up and say they were the most generous person I knew. And what's weird is when I think about that, I think, hey, I, I don't know if I'm there yet. And I'm praying that God would break that off of us, that we wouldn't just go along with the world. You know, we often talk about how as Christians, that we're to, that we're to swim in the other direction, that we're not to be like the world. One of the easiest ways we can be different, one of the easiest ways is we can say, God, I pray that you'd break that spirit of hoarding off me, that spirit of covetedness. I pray that you would make me generous in every way so that I could walk with the contentedness of the Lord. And you know, contentedness in a Venn diagram is right there in the same area as peace. So many people are looking for peace. Some of you are, have come in today and have asked the Lord, you want peace in your relationship. You want peace in your home. Part of the way to peace is through contentedness. Part of the way to contentedness is through generosity. So we're thankful for what we have. We're generous with what we have. Let me just say this as we close. The way that the enemy gets us out of contentedness often is through comparison. This is number one tactic. We're humans, right? So we, as humans, like our biological, we're biologically set to organize things. I know it doesn't seem like your 16-year-old has that biological setting, but they do. We, we put people in categories. But if we're not careful, we compare ourselves to ourselves. And in doing that, what we do is we covet, naturally. So you go on Instagram and you scroll and you compare yourself like, I don't have the marriage that that person has. I don't have the, I didn't get to go on a vacation like that person has. And it takes away, it, it sucks gratefulness and generosity. Because when I'm busy comparing, do you know what I want to do? Okay, well, like I don't have this, but at least I have this. So I'll hold on to this. When we, when we compare ourselves to ourselves, it just brings about nothing that's good. And this is why we learn to admire without having to acquire. That doesn't mean that in the kingdom of God, listen, the New Testament church was full of all kinds of people. We know from history that the New Testament church brought in people who were on the margins and who had nothing. And this is what made the gospel very attractive to people. But we also know that the kingdom of God was financed by people who were very wealthy 
because otherwise, how could they have helped the people? What the, what the early Testament, New Testament church had to do is learn not to compare themselves to each other. You have things, and I had, wow, I had, you got a new car. You don't have french fries in your car. I admire that. I don't have to acquire it. I don't have to covet it. I admire that. And some of you are going to have to practice saying, wow, I admire that about you, that you've been able to go out and build wealth. Wonderful. I, I admire about you that you were able to take, wow, what an amazing thing. You were able to take all your kids to Disneyland for 14 days. Wow. Because I'll tell you what often we do. Well, never mind that you're in the red in your bank account, so you couldn't have afforded to. But we say things like, well, I mean, I don't know if Jesus would have spent that money at Disneyland. None of your business. None of your business. If we're going to get content, we must not compare ourselves to ourselves. We admire, but we don't have to acquire. Somebody in here has a yacht? Praise God, invite me to come for a day. I will admire it, but I'm going to tell you, I'm probably not going to acquire it. We, we have to get good at doing this, though. It's out of the confession of our mouth. That's how, that's how it's broken. Some of you know right away what I'm talking about. You've been in comparison mode. And you think, you're kind of like low-level angry at everybody and you wish you had a spiritual reason to tell people off. <laughs> God told me you're using your resources incorrectly. God did not tell you that. I'm going to tell you, you're going to let God tell that person that, yes? Okay. We're, we're going to be really good cheerleaders. God's going to bring us people. Listen, I, I'm getting us ready. It's weird today as I stand here because I think it doesn't look, our church doesn't look much different than it did six months ago except for now we have a second service. God's going to bring us people who, um, who by their nature and by their, um, the trauma they've experienced in their life are going to remind us that Jesus came to us humble and that he is with the person. He doesn't judge us by our stuff. But he's also going to bring us people who are at the pinnacle of success. And they're going to finance things. And we are not to judge either or. We are to look and admire and say, I'm certainly glad that you're here. I'm certainly glad that the kingdom of God has brought you. That God, because the person who's standing over here, do you know what we're going to learn from them? That God can rescue anybody. That he can change anybody. That he can transform a life. And the person here is going to remind me that I do not have to live in discontentment my whole life. I do not have to live comparing myself to other people. But I must, I must, I must be grateful for them in God's kingdom. There is room for all of us, yes? And we will live with contentment because that is what the scripture has called us to do. No more worry or fatigue, or dissatisfaction. I am, I, I am refusing. You see, this rule of life actually in some ways is, is telling myself what I'm going to refuse to live with. I'm going to refuse to live a prayerless, scriptureless, no, no friends, dissatisfied kind of life. I'm instead going to live a life that is full of the word and full of the spirit of God. I'm going to live a life with people beside me where I hear the voice of God and where I live contented. I get up every morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've already given us. And I'm praying that that will be true for you as well. Can we just stand to our feet this morning? I want to pray for us. I want to pray that holy contentment would fall on us. 
where we, you've, you've stayed up at night wondering how it's all going to get worked out. We're going to sing the song, God Has Good Plans for Us. And as we sing it, we're going to sing over ourselves. I, I know God's got good physical plans for you. You don't have 300,000 things. He's going to bring everything you need for life and godliness. God said he'll supply all your needs. But that scripture is tied to contentment, by the way. So Jesus, I pray for my friends today. I pray that holy contentment would fall on this place in Jesus' name. That every person that would be part of Journey Church, that we would be people marked by your peace, marked by your contentment. That we would be people to, that learn to be grateful in every situation. That the words that would come out of our mouth would be words of gratefulness. That we would be people who, um, who learn to admire people, who learn to build other people up. And that we would be people that live generously in, in every occasion, God. In every occasion, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.